0: Alright, welcome to the Rolling Thunder Review. I am Ben Mertens from Welcome to Loud City. Join me on the other line, we have Robert Flom from Clips Nation. What's up, man?
1: Um, not much, just hanging in there on a Thursday night. How about you?
0: Hanging in there on a Thursday night, right before the Thunder play the Trailblazers, so hopefully nobody breaks to leg in that game, so this preview pod is actually still accurate. Uh, knock on wood. Yeah. So, Rob, how is covering the best team in Los Angeles, the Clippers, not the Lakers?
1: It's been it's been really fun this season. Uh, there have been some ups and downs for the Clippers, but overall it's been a pretty fun, exciting year, and it's been all the more exciting because the Lakers have had a disaster season.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, going into this season, the Lakers had added LeBron James, and the Clippers started the season with their best player being Tobias Harris, who now is no longer on the team. One of like a bunch of trades they've made this season, but the Lakers are about to miss the playoffs with LeBron. The Clippers keep winning games even after trading away who most people would have called their best player. Um, how, how has that been happening? How did the Clippers just manage to keep winning games?
1: I think it's, it's mostly depth in that they have 12 or 13 legitimate NBA players. And with the return of Wilson Chandler and Luke Mbamute tomorrow, they're going to be even more stacked, though. Uh, whether those guys will really factor in the season is an entirely different question. But really, it's depth. It's been their bench and it's the fact that they've had young players who've been legitimately good. Shea Gildas Alexander has had some rookie ups and downs, but on the whole, defense has been extremely impressive for a rookie point guard, and he's been able to really handle the ball and be a secondary playmaker alongside the likes of Pat Beverly and Lou Williams. And then I think there's also been... Some misconception about Tobias Harris, who is very, very good, probably a fringe all-star level player, but mm-hmm. was not really the Clippers' most important player. Most metrics and on off numbers would say that Lou Williams is actually the player who really makes the Clippers tick.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, everyone kind of wanted to put a Clipper on the all-star team because they were really good. But I heard Tobias Harris's name. I heard Lou Williams' name. I even heard Danilo Gallinari's name mm-hmm. in that conversation. And, of course, they didn't end up getting one um, because some players who were on teams that aren't going to make the playoffs got in instead. That's kind of the way it goes. But so what did you think, then, of that trade, getting rid of Tobias Harris and bringing back Landry Shamit, a draft pick? And kind of most importantly, they brought they now have a ton of cap space uh, for this summer to try to pursue some superstar player to be named
1: It was shocking. It was shocking in the moment when I was just I was on tweet deck and I just saw Adrian Wojnarowski tweet that the Clippers had traded Tobias Harris to the Sixers and I was completely blown away. I won't pretend to have super in-depth sources on the Clippers, but generally I hear some things and that came very much out of nowhere. The Clippers had talked ever since they traded for Tobias Harris, how much they love him. They really do love him. J.J. Reddick said on his podcast a couple weeks ago with Harris that within like 24 hours of the trade, five different Clippers staffers message him saying to take care of Tobias Harris. They really did like him, but they have bigger plans. And I just don't think they believe that Tobias Harris was a max level superstar player. I think he's not a superstar. He's very, very good. And he might be worthy of max, but he's not a clear cut max guy. And the Clippers are in the market for superstars. So I think from that angle, they did really well in clearing cap space Landry Shamet has been fantastic with the Clippers. I liked him pre-draft, and I know he played pretty well for the Sixers, but I hadn't really seen too much of him. And he is a dead-eye shooter. He can really, really move off the ball as well. Very impressive. And, yeah, I mean, I think the trade was just really good. They got a Miami pick in 2021. That could be amazing because the Heat are not very good and aren't don't have the most promising situation. So, The overall trade, I'd give an A. I was very sorry to see Tobias Harris go. Very good player, standout person, character, the whole thing. Um, Boban Marjanovic, obviously just one of the greatest people in the NBA. Mike Scott, very underrated role player, just super cool. I was sad to see all three of those guys go, but what they got back in terms of draft assets, cap space, young players, was just made it very worthwhile, I think.
0: Yeah, I think we so often it's you know which team won the trade. I think both teams are going to playing mm-hmm. this trade because to your point, Tobias Harris is not—I don't think ever going to be the best player in a championship team or the, even the second best. But in Philly, he's the third or maybe even the fourth best player on this team as Jimmy Butler gets older. And he's a great fit for their roster. But from Los Angeles's standpoint, they got back Landry. They got back Landry Shamet, who is—I agree with you—a great player. Reminds me a lot of JJ Redick actually. Mm-hmm. So perhaps it's better they're not on the same team anymore. Got this draft pick, which could be really good. Though Pat Riley says he's going to open up cap space and chase another star. We'll see. <laughs> um, I don't, I'm not sure I believe that, but we'll see. And then it, it just let the Clippers continue with this kind of build along two tracks method they've been going. Where like if they have the cap space now that they could sign Kawhi Leonard this summer, whoever else this summer, or if they don't sign anyone this summer, awesome. They have this young team with Landry Shamit, Shea gildas Alexander. And they have added another draft pick from Miami that's going to be really good in three years. So there's they're in one of the better situations in the league where they might be able to add, you know, a top five player this summer. And if they don't, instead of, you know, that being the end of the world, they'll shrug and say, we kind of like the team we have. That's a pretty good place to be.
1: It really is. I think most Clippers fans have been very impressed with the moves the front office has made. There was a lot of skepticism last year when the Blake Griffin trade happened. Obviously. Is a fan favorite, a guy who grew up the, with the team, was multiple-time All-Star, All-NBA, was Clipper third for life. MVP voting. Yeah, you know, they had the whole presentation, which they got endlessly made fun of for, and probably rightfully so, <laughs> uh, and then traded him six months later. But, you know, there was a lot of pushback then, even though a lot of people saw it, um, including me and, and most of the Clips Nation staff, I think, thought it was a really good trade to get out from his deal, is still losing a guy who's going to be an all NBA player this season. He's been great for the Pistons and they didn't really get back any big name players. Tobias Harris is better than they thought, but you know, there was some pushback, but now everybody is fully on board, partially because the Kawhi smoke seems like there's a lot of fire there. And Kawhi Mm -hmm. Leonard is, is obviously, you know, very, very good. Um, Probably all NBA first or second team this season. And Second, just because they are kind of rebuilding at the same time as they're retooling. As you mentioned, they're kind of on two tracks. And fans always love young players. You know, everybody always gets excited about the prospects and how good will Shea be, how good will Shamit be. There's Jerome Robinson. There are even other guys like Cinderius Thornwell, Ty Wallace – people get very invested in these young players. So you have all these young guys getting minutes and getting opportunities at the same time. You have the potential to get at least one superstar this summer. It's a really good place. They have very little long-term money. The only two guys they have that are veterans signed after this season are Lou Williams and Montrose Harrell, who Clippers fans love and want to keep regardless of what the Clippers do Mm -hmm. otherwise. And they're
0: on really good contracts. It's not like those guys are making the max or anything close to it.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, the Clippers are in a great situation, and I know Jerry West gets a lot of the credit. And for all I know, maybe he deserves all the credit. But they really have built a great front office. I know they have Trent Redden, Michael Winger, um, who was used to be with the Thunder, I believe. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, just a, a really good front office. Lawrence Frank has done a great job. So it's they're in a great place to be. I'm not as confident as some people about their superstar chances. I'm pessimistic until the paper is signed, but uh, we'll see.
0: Yeah, I mean, I you know, I could see Kawhi Leonard playing there, which is would be incredible. I could also see Kawhi Leonard staying with the Raptors doing something else, and the Clippers still being really good. And on that note, um, the other thing that happened when this trade went down is people are like, okay, now the Clippers aren't going to be in the playoffs anymore because the Clippers draft pick is owed to the Celtics this year if it falls uh, outside the lottery if it's lottery protected. So if the Clippers had finished like 12th, like they did last year. Um, they would have mm-hmm. kept the pick. And most people, I think when you trade away your best player, assume that was the direction they were going to go, They are not apparently going to go in that direction. They are pushing in on for the playoffs, and that may be less their own decision than do with the fact that the Lakers suck all of a sudden, <laughs> and the King, and the kings have shown just how young a team they are as they pursue it. But so what do you think of that of the clippers being w- when this trade happened, did you set were you in that mindset that it's 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 tank now? And did you think that was a good idea? or Are you happy to see them going for this playoff push?
1: I did not think it meant they would tank. I did think they would miss the playoffs until like a week ago. I thought the Lakers would get it.
0: Um, I, Having watched LeBron James for the last 15 years, I was certain the Lakers were going to be in the playoffs until that game on Monday night against the Clippers or Monday or Tuesday night, whichever night that was. Yeah,
1: it, it was Monday. Yeah. I mean, I think the Suns game was also was pretty bad, but yeah, I mean, until that game happened, I still thought the Lakers could make a push, but I, I didn't think they would tank because that's not really the mindset of Jerry West and Steve Ballmer and Doc Rivers. I
0: right. just well, thought they'd get
1: passed you, over.
0: But, right. Um, Try to make the playoffs but miss it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, But I think I'm fine with them making the playoffs. I know they'll lose their draft pick, but this draft is not very good. And, yeah, I don't think um, the
0: 15th pick – you know, you you – Someone always finds someone good at the end of the draft, but I don't right. think 15th pick in this draft do something to lose sleep over.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, with the revised draft lottery odds, getting, for example, the ninth pick, well, not the ninth pick, having the ninth best odds right. um, um, is actually a pretty good situation because you have, I, I, I don't know off the top of my head, but you have something like a 10 to 15 percent chance of jumping to the top three, which is actually really good considering But the Clippers were never going to fall that far. They were going to be 11th or 12th, which just really is not particularly worth it. I'm fine with it. I think them playing the Warriors would not be particularly great because the Warriors love destroying the Clippers and the Warriors are the Warriors. Um, But I think if they're able to avoid the Warriors, whether that means they get the seventh seed and face some other team or the Warriors themselves fall, uh, I think... It would make their playoff run a little bit more fun, though you you can never tell. They could get stomped by some other team, too. Uh, but I'm fine with it. You know, the pick would have been nice, but they already have a bunch of young guys. After this season, if they have their way, they're not going to be that young of a team anymore. They want at least one superstar, uh, preferably two. So, you know, I was fine either way. I think the front office was honestly fine either way and it looks like they're going to make the playoffs. It's fun. The playoffs are always super super fun. And I'm yeah, I'm excited to watch them play in, a, you know, however however many games they're able to play.
0: I think it's all good. It makes them I think a more a slightly more attractive destination for any free agent to say, "Wow, this team that this team made the playoffs without me and it looks like a core that's going to fit really well around my talent." Um and they're giving up yeah, probably the 14th like the 13th pick in the draft if they managed if they'd managed to if they'd missed the playoffs um which is not the end of the world like you said they have all these good players already who is the young prospect that you think has the the highest earned ceiling is it shea it has to be shea i think
1: landry shamit like you said is is kind of a jj reddick clone i think in some ways he's a bit more promising one because he looks so good already it took jj reddick several years to get going he's a little bit bigger than jj Uh, I think he's already shown some better passing instincts than J.J. showed, even in his prime as a clipper. But J.J. Redick is one of the best shooters of all time. And Shamit, I think, looks like he could very well get there. He's been amazing this season already. But J.J. Redick was never an all-star, and he was kind of close a couple years. I think Shea Gildas-Alexander in his prime is a guy who could be maybe not one of the best Point guards in the NBA, but a guy who makes All Defense teams, a guy who could probably make a couple All Star games. Uh, his length, his decision making, his ability to score around the basket—he just pulls out some phenomenal, ridiculous finishes sometimes. And he can make very good passes. He's not a Luka Doncic or a Trey Young, who's really a slinger and a next level playmaker. But he's a very competent, capable a uh, passer and is adept at running the pick and roll already. He's shown some flashes of shooting. He's shooting around, I think, 34, 35% from three this year on kind of low volume. But the promise is there for him to eventually be a semi-plus shooter. I just, I mostly really am just blown away by his defense as a rookie. Um, his ability to help and recover with his length and his quickness is is pretty remarkable. I think it has to be him poor Jerome Robinson is kind of getting the shaft, but he's played like a hundred NBA minutes and has not particularly stood out in them. So it is what it is.
0: Yeah. Landry's huge. He's six, six. He's like that Sean Livingston body build for a point guard, uh, but he's already, you know, a much better jump shooter than Sean Livingston ever was uh, from beyond the arc. So over the last eight games since the All-Star break. I think you've been starting Beverly, Shamit, and Shea Gildas all together, mm-hmm. which is kind of a small starting lineup, but it's been working. But tonight, or Friday night, Wilson Chandler and, and Bob Muter are both supposed to be back. So who do you think is going to be the starting five in that game?
1: I think the same starting five would probably start against most teams. I think against the Thunder in particular, zock mm-hmm. might have to swap out one of those guards for Luke. Uh, I guess Luke would start over Wilson Chandler, but both those guys have missed a lot of time. Luke in particular, he's played four games this season and they were the first four games of the season. Um, You know, he's been out for months and months and while he's been practicing, it's very different from game reps. I don't know if throwing him out against the Thunder, even though it's a theoretically better matchup is really the best idea for him against the Thunder team. That's obviously very good and has some guys who he'll need to be in absolute tip-top shape to guard. It wouldn't surprise me if he rolled out the same starting five and just had a quick trigger to the bench, if Mm -hmm. Paul George, for example, gets cooking. But I think Luke or Wilson Chandler might possibly get the start. Um, You know, if Luke had played a little bit more this season or his absence had been, you know, if he'd played somewhat more recently, I'd be more inclined to say he'd start, but... We'll see. I think I think for most of the season, though, they're probably going to stick with that starting five just because it's been good so far. And I really think Shea and Shamit deserve to play. They're the young guys. They're the promising guys. They're the, the young players who free agents this summer will want to see and play with. And they just have to start Pat Beverly because he's been a monster for the past three months. So I'm very curious to see what Doc does, to be very honest. Um it'll be a very interesting game with with those two guys back for the first time.
0: Yeah, I think healthy, you know, 100% healthy Luke Mbamute is probably the best guy on the team for guarding Paul George. Luke Mbamute, who hasn't played in five months or however long it's been, might not be the best option on Paul George. We'll say Chandler at least has the size on PG, which I think is like the important thing, right? Because like Shea is a really good defender and really good at getting around screens, and he's tall for a point guard, but Paul George still has four inches on him. And Paul George this year has just started rising up and shooting on guys who are smaller than him, even if they're in the right spot defensively. So I do think you need a bigger guy. And Gallo is probably a little too slow to be chasing PG around the perimeter. So Chandler is probably the best option, even though Wilson Chandler defensive stopper is not a sentence anyone's uttered any time recently, but it's (laughs) the best of the available options. Uh, Speaking of your starting five, there's one young guy we did not talk about because I forgot he was on the team. Zubac, um traded by yeah. the Lake trade from the Lakers for some reason apparently because JaVale McGee was pouting about his minutes and they decided to placate him instead of the rookie. How's he been doing with the Clippers? Uh,
1: he's been good. Um, I'm not quite as high on him as a lot of other people are. I think guy people were so used to watching Martian Gortat play (laughs) that watching Zubac play is you know uh, it's a big upgrade. There's no question about that. But I think people are kind of overhyping him. Still, he's a much better finisher just because he's bigger and he's you know younger. He has more spring in his legs and he's much quicker defensively than Gortat. Like he's not exactly Mitchell Robinson or Nerlens Noel out there, but Mm -hmm. he can he can move. You know he's young. He's 21. Um, and yeah, he's been a big upgrade on both ends. I'm not super high on his long-term potential, but you know, he's good. And he's actually flashed some very interesting passing. Sometimes he's a bit slow, but he can he can read the floor. He's had some nice creative passes from the elbow to cutters. Uh, the Clippers love to cut, especially Beverly and Shea. Yep. Uh, though Shaman has flashed that a few times too. So he's going to be good. I think Steven Adams is going to be a very rough test for him, though. Um, you know, he's a big guy, but Adams is is going to probably throw him around a little bit.
0: Yeah, and I think they kind of need him because of that Adams matchup, right? Mont- I really like Montrose Harrell, and it's funny, like, he and Adams both give each other problems, right? Adams is a lot bigger than Harrell, so when mm-hmm. he was in the game as the backup center in those early matchups, Stephen Adams was able to get what he wants in the offensive glass. But Harrell's really fast, and so when he was running the pick and roll, especially with Lou Will as, like, the dive man, Adams is just not able to, like, get from Lou Will to him when the pass goes quickly enough, and they got a lot of good looks off of that. That's one of the thunder, despite how good their defense has been. Really athletic big men, really athletic roll men have punished them, and then big men who can shoot threes, which isn't a problem in this matchup. But those are the things that have really given Steven Adams trouble. So I think... Zubac is important just because he's the only guy on this team now that's actually over seven foot and kind of needs to keep Adams off the glass. Um, but we'll see. I mean, Harrell, I, I, I think Harold's the better player than him. Oh, yeah. Harold's not, in the modern NBA, he's not a four anymore, but he can, in certain matches, be a little too small to play the five, at least for 30 minutes.
1: Yeah, I would be curious to see if Doc actually does play him at the four a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think one of the ways the Clippers could try to match the Thunder is to go big with Gallo at the three um, on Paul George. And you just have to surrender a little bit of quickness in exchange for height and for having Gallo shooting and play Harold, I guess, on Garden Grant, probably. And then right have Zubac as well. I think that is a lineup we could see. I'm not sure we've really seen it much recently uh, since the trade, but I think that is definitely a possibility because they need Montrose Harrell out there. But they also don't want to have him. Uh, on Adams too much I don't think
0: yeah I like that idea Um, and you know Gallo guarding George isn't ideal but there aren't great options for the flippers. and that does mean on the flip side of that George is probably guarding Gallo anyways like or in that lineup George is guarding Gallo which Gallo has been pretty effective against the Thunder this year and that at least tires Paul George out because if you stick with that small group and then Grant is guarding Gallo Paul George is guarding I guess Landry Shamit. I don't even know who's technically the three in that three-guard lineup. Um, Shamit is, yeah. So Paul George is guarding him, or maybe they stick him on Shea and prefer to have Terrence Ferguson chase Shamit around the perimeter, but it's not going to be a super taxing matchup for Paul George, whereas if he's guarding Gallo, you're at least making him work. He's a great defender, but at least you're making him work for it. And PG, I think what what the Thunder most want to see in this game is Paul George actually have a good game because he missed three games with shoulder soreness after um, after coming back from the All-Star break. He had a great game against the Jazz and then not so good game against the Kings, got hurt against the Nuggets, missed the next three. And since coming back, the jumper has just been off. He's looked, he takes the jumpers and he's he comes close. There were three in their last game that were in the basket and popped out. So I do think he'll be right. And maybe we'll even see in this game against the Trailblazers that's happening right, before, right after we record this, he'll be back on. But I think that's the most important thing for the Thunder is, can Paul George hit shots? Because there's not really anyone on this Clippers team who should bother him. So it's more just, is he healthy enough to make those plays? And the Thunder need him to be healthy enough to make those plays because they are straight up a lottery team when they don't have Paul George. Which is weird to me
1: because they have, you know, obviously they have Russell Westbrook. But, I mean, Steve Adams is really good. And is always a really great backup center. Grant has been really good this season. Ferguson's been, like, a good defender. Um, I mean, obviously Paul George has been an MVP caliber player, so every time you lose one of those, you're, you're going to take a hit. But their their play without this season has still been kind of surprisingly bad. Um, I don't know, maybe I mean you obviously watch them a ton more than I do, uh, two, but
0: yeah. yeah, there's there's two problems, which one is Westbrook who has not been able to hit shots this season the way he does, and you know Russell Westbrook has never been. The model of efficiency right his his scoring style has always been the kobe bryant style where if you shoot a lot you also score a lot but um and he's you know not like kobe and that he's also a very good passer but he's never been an efficient scorer but this year the jump shot completely abandoned him until the all-star break and actually since the all-star break he's been hitting the three okay like 33 percent which is you know below league average but excellent for russell westbrook he's looked better getting to the rim the all-star break didn't good the problem is they still weren't winning those games when George hasn't played or did not play well because the Thunder don't have another person who can defend or really play the small forward position on their roster at all. When George was out, they tried putting Markeith Morris there, who's too slow, and that lineup got blitzed. Or they'll play really small where Ferguson is the three and Dennis Schroeder starts at the shooting guard position. And that, I think, is kind of their best lineup without Paul George, but it's not mm-hmm. ideal. The the player they wanted to slot there in the way this roster is constructed would be Andre Roberson, who can actually play the 2 or the 3. He can't shoot worth a lick, but he's an excellent defender. And I think if he'd been fully healthy to start the year, it would be he'd be starting at the 2 and George at the 3, and when George was on the bench, Roberson would be the one sliding down to the 3, and that's when Ferguson would come in. But he hasn't been healthy. Yeah. He got, ruptured his patellar tendon last year against the Sixers, has not played a minute since then. There's no timetable when he's back, and there's just nobody else who can play that position. So the Thunder are either too big or too small. And Paul George is their Goldilocks, the one way they can have a lineup that's just right. <laughs> and then on top of that, yeah, he's their MVP candidate and best player. And that's why they've struggled so much with him off the court. Even as Westbrook has started to finally figure out his jump shot these last seven games, the net rating with PG off has still been, you know, Cavaliers, Phoenix Suns level of bags. Yeah, <laughs>
1: uh, yeah I mean, I, I don't know. I, I this is a tough matchup for the Clippers. Um, you know, even if George isn't one hundred percent, I'm not super confident about them about them taking this. Just because, like you said, they don't have a good matchup for him. Pat Beverly is probably one of the better Russell Westbrook defenders, if nothing else, just because he kind of gets in his head a little bit. Yes. Um, but the, the big men is just. A, a bad matchup for the Clippers. I mean, they're even with Zubac. They they're still kind of at a deficit. Um, Harrell's great, but he's undersized. The Thunder are really big. Um, Ferguson is definitely a good guy to have on on Shea or Shamit as well. I just think it's a rough matchup. Um, I mean, the Thunder are also just a better team. Um, yeah, up. right. But uh, you know, it's it's not a great matchup. The Clippers do match up better against some of the other. West better teams like I think the Blazers for example who the Thunder are playing tonight are not a bad matchup for the Clippers
0: they Um, also don't really have your you know big scoring small four they're a team that plays a lot of three guard lineups yeah
1: yeah and you have Pat Beverly and Che to throw on Damon and CJ and Nurkic has been really good this season but he's still not a guy who's I'm that scared of
0: (laughs) Nurkic this year has been you know he's been good at defending guys like you know, like a Carl Townsend and a Nicole Jokic, but he hasn't, you know, turned himself into that level of offensive threat. So you're more worried about him like slowing down your really good center than beating up your not so good center.
1: Yeah. And which is a problem with Montrose Harrell because, I mean, obviously he's great, but um, yeah, the Thunder, are just a, a scary matchup. And I, the Clippers beat them early this season, but yeah, the, the Clippers lead uh,
0: the series two to one.
1: Yeah. But the Thunder were not quite right yet. And um yeah they're just they're very scary uh to me i would not want to play them in the playoffs i think they're after the the warriors the team that i think the clippers should probably avoid the most
0: yeah i think at their best the thunder you know obviously this is a homer take and the rockets fans would have my head for this but i think fully healthy and right the thunder are the second best team in the west but they've had injuries this season they've also had games where they were healthy and didn't play up to their potential um it's been an you know, less of an up and down season the Clippers had, but they've had their own little roller coaster season as well. So, final thing anything else we haven't covered that you think is like an important matchup to watch in this particular game on Friday night?
1: I would watch out for Lou Williams. Uh, I always just, do. <laughs> every team always does. Um, you know, it would not surprise me if he's the first guy on most coaches' scouting reports. Um, he's the Clippers'. Most versatile Uh, offensive player, he's just the guy who makes their offense tick. Like I mentioned at the very beginning, their uh, on and off numbers with Lou are ridiculous. I think there's something like a plus six with him on the court this season and a minus 5.5 with him off. Um, And that's not even just a bench thing with him and Harrell. It's like the next best is Pat Beverly with like a plus two and a minus like one or something. Um, Yeah, so... He's incredible. I can't believe that there's another six-man-of-the-year argument going on this season. Like, that's my homework take is just there should not be an argument just right in Lou Williams. Um, Yeah, and if Schroeder is covering him, I would expect the Clippers to attack that uh, a lot. The good thing for the Thunder is they do have Noel in there on the bench unit, and he is a guy who obviously very good uh, – you know, paint protector. So a lot of Lou shots in the paint that he likes, those little floaters and runners are going to be harder than they might be against most reserve units. Yeah, Lou, um,
0: Lou, if you're listening, just pump fake and Nerlens will jump and you'll be okay. <laughs> uh, he does
1: love to pump fake. So we'll see about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's really the Clippers best way to beat any good team. Any team better than them is just to have Lou Williams go off And there's like a 50% chance of that on any given night. So if Lewis hot, the Clippers can win and they can beat anybody. Um, And I think that's, that's really the key thing to watch. The other thing is don't be too happy. If he starts the first quarter cold, it seems like he always starts the first quarter cold and just keeps picking up steam. So if he makes, I'd say that the key to watch is in the third quarter stint. If he comes in and makes his first two shots there uh, and the game is still close, uh, I would, I'd be pretty happy for the Clippers because once he gets rolling in the second half of the game, he can be very, very tough to stop.
0: Yeah. We'll watch out for that. We'll watch out for how, you know, the thing about Lou, the teams have always kind of, you know, the reason he comes off the bench thing with that is he's not a great defender, but the Thunder six man is Dennis Schroeder, who you can be a not great defender and still contain. I shouldn't be too harsh on Dennis. He's been, he's the best backup point guard Russell Westbrook has ever had but he has just been dreadful since the All-Star break. Maybe he turns it around in this game you know, with less intimidating rim protectors. He's been getting swatted in the paint these last few games, so maybe he's able to get it going in this game, but him defending Lou, not ideal for the third yeah. That is, I think they're tough. You know, as, as much as Paul George is going to be able to punish those smaller guys, Schroeder and even Westbrook, I think, are going to struggle guarding Lou Will. Um, you could stick Ferguson on him, but I think it'll end up being Schroeder and Westbrook, so they'll have to be up to that because he's he's a huge scoring threat. He's the best player on their team, like you said.
1: Yeah, that's. I think that's it for me.
0: All right, man. Thank you so much for coming on and doing this.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. It was, it was great. uh It's been a while since I've really. It's. I think it's been a while since the Clippers played the Thunder, but I'm excited for. It's, it. it's like really November.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. With, I mean, the Thunder's recent uh string of losses probably means this isn't going to be the playoff series that uh, happens in round one, but maybe we'll get lucky.
1: it would be lucky for the Thunder. And I think that would be their absolute ideal playoff matchup in the first round. So, yeah.
0: All right, Robert, have a good night, man. You too. Thanks.